And that is absolutely like, I would say that's my like number one marker of imposter syndrome for me is that I feel like I can't make mistakes. Everything I do has to be perfect. It leads to me like working much harder sometimes than I think is necessary and also not being willing to ask for help when it would make things so much easier. Welcome to Well Developed, a podcast where we explore how to bridge the gap between well-being and professional development. My name is Erin Herrera. I'm the Associate Vice Chair of Well-Being in the Department of Anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. I'm Rachel Moquin. I'm an Assistant Professor and Director of Learning and Development in the Department of Anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. And Erin and I um, started this podcast because we believe that it is difficult to learn well or perform well when you are not well. So in this podcast series, we'll be bringing in experts and sharing our knowledge and experience on these important topics. We hope to provide space to validate, normalize, and explore the ways in which we bring our whole selves to work. And today we are going to be diving into imposter syndrome, um, what that means to us personally and what that means to um, all kinds of people in their career and in their personal lives. So to kick things off, um, again, this is a podcast that's always reflective about how we can improve your well-being um, by kind of addressing more about yourself and kind of taking some good hard looks inside. Um, so we, we chose imposter syndrome just because this is a syndrome that both of us um, encounter on a daily basis, both personally and see a lot at work. So eventually, imposter syndrome um, is the internal psychological experience of feeling like a phony in some areas of your life. Um, despite any success that you have achieved in that area. This can include things such as an inability to realistically assess your competence and skills, attributing your success to external factors, berating your own performance, fear that you won't live up to expectations, sabotaging your own success, crediting your success to things like luck or other reasons, fear of being seen as a failure, feeling that overworking is the only way to meet expectations, downplaying your own accomplishments, and holding back from reaching attainable goals. So the more you dig into imposter syndrome, we realize it is a pervasive syndrome, both for men and women. Oh, that's an important note. I feel like we bring this up to talk about women a lot, but it's important to note that it's both. Hi, Erin. Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel. Uh, thanks for kicking things off. Uh, as you're reading that list, I'm like, uh-huh, yes. Sometimes I do that. Yeah, it's very interesting. When I, when I bring up imposter syndrome, it's always the women that jump into the conversation first. Um, but as I tend to dig in a little deeper with people, I start to hear the men around me chiming in as well. So mm -hmm. historically, the context of this um, was originally discovered um, and studied looking at the impact of women because um, they found that a lot of, despite academic, outstanding academic and professional accomplishments, um, women were experiencing imposter syndrome. Um, and this all started back in 1978 with this groundbreaking study from psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Susan Imes. And so kind of we've been working from there, looking and studying throughout the years, this, this syndrome, as we call it. So it's like self-doubt times a million, right? like pervasive self-doubt. For sure. And, I, you know, we, I feel like we need to address the elephant in the room when we talk about imposter syndrome, because there is, when you look at the historical context of this, you can't negates the systemic oppression of, of women and those of racial minorities. And there's a lot of stuff to unpack with this, um, with this syndrome throughout history. But today we're kind of just going to focus on how things are going for people individually, kind of in a current context. 
um, and how to help us fight through and find professional success um, when you're dealing with imposter syndrome. Yeah. So over our time together, Aaron and I are both going to talk about how we've seen imposter syndrome manifest for ourselves, kind of be very transparent with you. We're going to take a little online quiz um, about how we might be suffering from different uh, elements of imposter syndrome, and then talk about how we can uh, help ourselves work through it and navigate through so that those feelings don't impact our performance and make us feel like we're not worthy or able to be successful. And then also think about how those of us in leadership positions who support other people can help mitigate those feelings of imposter syndrome as well. Great. I'm excited. I, I love to talk talk about this with other people to see. It's funny when you, when you, I've worked with Rachel a lot and I see her work professionally and she's incredible. And so it's always interesting to me when I hear their perspective of how they think about stuff. So I'm, I'm very excited to dive in. Um, so we've defined what imposter syndrome is. So some of the ways that we feel the impact of these things might be things like persistent anxiety. Uh, people who experience imposter syndrome are, are sort of constantly trying to prove that they belong somewhere when they're wondering whether they do or not. So that could look like overcommitting to elements of your role, saying yes to everything, um, not doing a great job setting those professional or personal boundaries. I know nothing about that. I don't know what you're talking about. I, right. No, neither of us overcommits to anything. And we Beautiful boundaries. <laughs> this is a teaser for our next podcast, <laughs> Setting Boundaries with Aaron and Rachel. Yeah. Coming soon. We will be talking about that. We will be learning about that and talking about it and then trying to apply what we uh, what we learn. And we're bringing in a professional to help us who is a great at setting boundaries and is going to give us some great tangible advice to help you and both of us. Yes. Other ways this might manifest. Things like not, not being willing to accept help or feeling like it's uh, a negative if you need help in some element of your role. Um, insecurity or perfectionism. What do you think, Erin? Those are lots of like, uh, sort of things. Yeah, the more, you know, the more I read this, the more I, I check off different boxes on this list because um, I definitely see this in myself frequently, frequently. And I think the more you move up in your career, um, the more easy it is to fall into this trap of imposter syndrome, especially for women, especially as you're pushing new boundaries and starting new roles. Um, but I think when you talk about this in a clinical sense, and when we talk about a lot of our clinicians and our residents and our students here, a really common time for imposter syndrome to manifest itself is when you're trying a new activity or skill um, and having this new skill set that suddenly you're not great at immediately, um, it's a really good time for imposter syndrome to rear its head. Um, so I'm always very cognizant of this when we talk about working with our residents and our SRNA students and many of the trainees in our program, understanding where they are in their life and helping them kind of work through this feelings of not being an expert all the time right away. And that's okay. But understanding that that is okay is hard for a lot of people. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, Something that I find true in our department is particularly when we look around, right? We work with incredible people. We work with leaders in their field. We work with exceptional clinicians. We work with just people who are so competent and so capable. And so it's very easy, I think, especially when you're new to sit down in a room with those people and look around and think like, my gosh, like I don't belong here. These people are amazing. Oh, for sure. For sure. I constantly am like, oh, I don't know how I got invited to this meeting. I really tricked them into thinking I belong in this group. Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the key defining things is this feeling that like you slipped through somehow, like someone thinks you're more capable than you are. And yeah. Tricked them. Yep. I tricked them this time. They got me in. They let me in. 
But yeah. really, that's not giving people enough credit. Like we work with competent people. So if they're bringing you to the table, they believe you should be there, right? Give them credit for that. Exactly, exactly. And that's, as we talk later on how to how to deal with this personally, that's one of the things is to kind of sit down and self-reflect on that. Mm-hmm. My boss probably didn't make a mistake by giving me this job. They, they know what they're doing too. But when you look at the statistics, it says about 70% of people have suffered from imposter syndrome at some point in their lives. So we're not alone in this. And it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. How do we know if we're experiencing it, Erin? What are some of the things we can reflect on? One of the things you can reflect on, th- this, one, this one is very near and dear to my heart, is attributing your success um, to luck or outside factors, which I am really great. So I, when I was accepted into the nurse anesthesia program, the chief CRNA of the department was one of my dad's good friends who I grew up with. And so when I was accepted, despite being a fully qualified applicant, I was like, oh, they just let me in as a favor. They just let me in because Gary was in the program. And so I skirted by. No, not really qualified, just just doing them a favor. And um, same thing with kind of every promotion. Um, it's very easy as a woman to be like, well, they just needed a woman in the position and they just needed this, this type of fit and I just fit the bill. So it's nothing with my qualifications. Um, that's one thing that happens to me a lot, or, or maybe maybe other people didn't even apply. Maybe, maybe I just lucked out into this position, was in the right place at the right time. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a frequent thing that people with imposter syndrome say. It's the right place at the right time scenario. I'm not actually qualified, just, just lucky that this popped up when it did. Yeah, that's interesting. That makes me think about, you know, as we sort of widen the door and bring more different types of people to the table who've been historically left out, you know, for all the reasons that you mentioned, like, I wonder if there's an unintended consequence in that feeling of imposter syndrome, right? As we bring more people in, I think we need to work extra hard to make sure that everyone knows that, no, we didn't just need a woman. We didn't just need, you know, X, Y, Z to to make us more diverse. But really, you know, you are the right person. You are qualified, right? Yeah, yeah. You're here on your own merit with, mm-hmm. with no additional qualifiers to that merit. Another thing that I see a lot is downplaying your own expertise in areas where you are genuinely more skilled. I, I mean, for me, I'm sure you have experiences too. I, I lecture a lot. I lecture to lots of different groups here on campus and I will give a lecture about something that I have done professionally for close to 15 years now. And I still am like, what if, what if these people ask a question I don't know? They're going to think I don't know about this topic. What if they ask a question and I feel stupid and I... I even though I've given the lecture multiple times and I clearly have lived in this career for a long time, I still have self-doubt that just one question can topple the whole, the whole scheme that I've set up and, and think that maybe I don't actually know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I have that moment. You know, there are kind of go-to things that I speak about all the time. And I still have that moment when someone asks me to come talk to a group about something. I'm like, oh, you want me? Like, aren't there people who know more about this than me? Like every time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's easy to do. And like we said, especially a place like WashU where everyone is so very, very smart and so very confident. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, hard, it's hard to realize they actually want you. Do you see yourself overdoing it at work all the time? Yes. So uh, one of the other questions that, you know, you can think about is, do you agonize over your smallest mistakes or flaws in your work? Like, do you strive for perfectionism? And that is absolutely like, I would say that's my like number one marker of imposter syndrome for me is that I feel like I can't make mistakes. Everything I do has to be perfect. It leads to me like 
working much harder sometimes than I think is necessary and also not being willing to ask for help when it would make things so much easier uh, because I feel like there's this pressure to like, oh, well, you're the education person. So like, you better be able to do this without asking for help, you know? I feel that intensely. Another thing that I've always thought of whenever I interview for positions or, or do anything like that is I like to credit it that I'm just good at interviewing, that I, I'm a good chit-chatter. I give a great interview. I tricked them with my winning personality, not actually my resume. I have the opposite reaction. I'm like, they felt so bad for me because I'm such a bad interviewer that they just gave me the job out of pity. <laughs> like, so it goes both ways. <laughs> That's funny. Well, in thinking of like the different ways, even between Aaron and I, like we both would say, I think, yes, yeah, sure, man- imposter syndrome manifests for us, but it manifests like totally differently. And when we were preparing for this, I ran across this like cute little graphic quiz, uh, which we obviously can't pull up and show you, but we're going to kind of walk through it. So it's this quiz um, that helps you identify whether you're suffering from imposter syndrome. And then there are several different ways that per this quiz, it might be manifesting for you. Um, So Erin and I have both agreed to be brave and uh, take this quiz out loud and be transparent and vulnerable. Um, So we're going to one at a time just kind of walk through. It's a little like diagram where you choose like yes, no, and it sends you down a different path, but we're going to walk through and take it. Erin, would you like to try it first? Okay. Starting one, question number one. Do you worry that you will be found out? I can hardly answer yes to this question. Okay, that sends you over here. Yes. Do you feel like your colleagues are more mature than you? Yes. All right. I think I think it's a, it's interesting to take this quiz because I think in some areas of my job, I do feel a lot more confident. Um, in my clinical leadership position, I feel a lot more confident in what I do. Mm. When I think more about what I do in well-being and on executive leadership position, it's a totally different ballgame. Yeah, totally different ballgame. So um, yes, I definitely feel... At some aspects of my job, my colleagues are, are far more mature. All right. That sends you another yes. So you're in the blue over here. Do you use minimizing language? I'm pretty sure. I kind of think. Oh, yeah. I will put a qualifier at the end of every sentence I do. All right. Do you feel that praise is just people trying to be nice to you? Yes. <laughs> also, yes. All right. So then we go, do you believe you fa- have failed if you struggle to master something? Yeah, I think this is where that comes into, like we talked about, massively over-preparing, over-committing, overdoing. Everything I do has to be over-the-top, perfection, perfect. Um, and so that heartily puts me down at the end of this quiz into the expert. Um, you expect to know and feel, you expect to know everything and feel ashamed when you don't. Oh, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, Erin. Do you feel like that's true? I do. I do feel like that's true. I feel like people, when they come to me for advice, that I have this expectation that I'm supposed to know the perfect answer or help provide them an answer. Um, It's interesting because I'm kind of diving into coaching culture Mm -hmm. and what that means. And being a coach is very much not providing answers. It's helping other people find those answers for themselves and helping them the exploring and guiding themselves to that which, you know, I hope I really lean into because it seems like that would help me on the pastor syndrome of, of being the expert and knowing that it's it's okay to do some diving and self-reflection to get to the answer. Um, yeah, I feel like coaching it from that lens is like a great fit for you because then like your role is to help people find their answer. So it takes that pressure off of like, 
oh, I need to know what they should do or I need to know what what I should say about this. But really, like, you get to draw it out of others. Yeah. Because for me, the majority of my imposter syndrome rears its head when I think about my title and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is a broad topic. <laughs> and, and well-being means something different to everyone. And um, I certainly... As a trained anesthesia clinician, I have a lot of self-doubt of whether I should be talking to people about well-being. Like I think to myself, well, what possible credential do these people think that I have that they should listen to me? And, you know, I read a lot of books and I, I live in this, this sphere of well-being and talk to a lot of people, but I still deeply feel hmm. like, well, why, why would people listen to me about this? Why do they think I have anything to say about this? And, and it's especially hard when people come to me for advice about well-being. Because I don't always have the answers to stuff because it's so different for everyone else. For me, in this aspect of my job that I'm podcasting about right now and making you listen to, (laughs) is a lot of self-doubt about putting it out there publicly about, you know, why I feel like you should, you know, listen to anything I have to say. (laughs) I listen to everything you say, Erin. I struggle with well-being, so I'm grateful for your expertise and your guidance. All right. so, So let's see how Rachel pans out in this test. All right. Let's see. The first question, do you worry you will be found out? That's a hard one. I feel like maybe I used to, but I feel like as I've settled into kind of where I am in my career, maybe that one's a no for me now. Okay. Uh, So that's going to send me the other side of the quiz from you. All right. See what's over there. Next question. Do you feel uncomfortable when someone praises your work? Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, You saw this during our last podcast episode. My face turns so red when someone puts me on the spot or when someone tells me I've done a good job in front of other people. I mean, I just turn like the color of a very red apple. She's blushing right now for all of our listeners at home. Again, look every episode. This is going to be, this is the theme. Erin will keep you posted. The Rachel Blush Watch. Uh, So that one's a yes, for sure. Perfect. Okay, so the next one from that is, do you set unattainable goals? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) That is something anyone who has ever managed me, I think, would give an emphatic yes to. Are you constantly worried that you are not meeting expectations? Oh, yes. Yes. I wonder that all the time, which I think is why I set such ridiculous goals and why I overwork. I'm like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I got to like do more things. Prove prove my worth. Yeah. My worth in this. That one's a yes. Yes. They they need to not regret hiring off for this position. <laughs> I better pump out so much content. And yeah. So much stuff. For them. All right. So that, yes, sent us down to, do you often stay late at work? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think there are probably some listeners who would call me out if I said no, looking at the times I send emails or the times I respond to emails or the times I'm in meetings. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I have a little disclaimer in my email signature that says like my working hours vary. I don't expect you. But what that secretly means is Erin um, is doing work late into the night. Just act like you're working clinically so they don't think you're a weirdo overworking. But um, yeah, I've started sneaking right in with the schedule send feature. So I'll be drafting an email at a, a ridiculous hour that I would be like very embarrassed for someone to know. And so I'll click schedule send for like eight, send this tomorrow at 8.30 in the morning. But normal. <laughs> so that people think I'm totally normal and emailing them at a reasonable hour. I feel like all my clinicians listening will appreciate that I have no qualms texting my colleagues at like 5 to 6 a.m. because I figure most of them are awake anyway. But you know, that's also a fair game to send emails in the middle of the night. That's true. I feel like if people compare notes, there's probably like five or six people who get an email from me at 8.30 every day. 
Rachel's sending six emails at the exact same time. No, it's that they were drafted and scheduled. Yes, over preparing. Yeah. All right. So Stay at Work Late sends us down the path to the final. Oh, my roll. Hey, drum roll. The superwoman. When you feel you should be able to excel at every role you take on in your life. Oh, yeah. That resonates. I feel like if I say yes to do something, I feel like I have to be like really good at it. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that in, in your work. Uh, right. Oh, no. So there's how many? It looks like there's, there's five different types. The ones that we didn't land on, there's the perfectionist. Uh, you set impossibly high standards for yourself and beat yourself up when you don't reach them. The soloist, um, you believe work must be accomplished alone and refuse to take credit if you received any kind of assistance. And then the last one is the natural genius. You tell yourself that everything must be handled with ease. Otherwise, it's not natural talent. So this is interesting. I feel like there are pieces of all of those that I feel at different times. Um, But breaking it out into kind of like a primary, at least for right now, that's interesting. Um, We'll share the link to the quiz because the most helpful thing that it does then is when you identify your sort of circle there are a couple different tips for you in sort of navigating um, that piece of imposter syndrome, which kind of leads us to, I think, where we want to go. So we've talked about the problem of imposter syndrome, but we also want to make sure we talk about like how we can support ourselves and each other through navigating it. Yeah, for sure. So let's dive back in. Now that, now that Rachel and I have both diagnosed ourselves heartily with imposter syndrome, uh, let's dive in on ways we can help each other. So the first thing that works best for me is what we're doing right this very second, which is talking about it and acknowledging it um, and just throwing it out to the universe that that is how you're feeling. Um, and that works for a couple of reasons because one, it's great to have camaraderie to kind of talk through things and how you're feeling. And, you know, chances are whoever you're asking about it has also at some point felt that way in their life. Um, but two, when you second guess ourselves privately, um, there's no one there to tell you that you're wrong. And so by me listening to Rachel talk, uh, I'm a great person since I work with her a lot to, to tell her that she's crazy because she's really great at all of this stuff. And a lot of this is self-inflicted expectations that she has set on herself. And from an outside perspective, that's very much not how she appears. She seems very much an expert in her field and a reliable, trusted colleague. Back at you. But for sure. It's a great opportunity for us to talk to each other through this, to help each other through imposter syndrome. But also, it's great for doing stuff like increasing our gratitude and appreciation for our colleagues, which I think sometimes gets lost in the mix in the busy world um, of everything that's going on. I think it's so important that people hear things like that. Like, you're doing a great job and you're really good at what you do and you are a trusted, wonderful colleague. And I think sometimes we forget to tell our colleagues that, especially the ones we work with on a daily basis. And it's always good to hear. Everyone needs to hear stuff like that. So talking through imposter syndrome is very helpful for many, many reasons. Even if it makes people blush. Even if it makes people (laughs) blush. (laughs) Um, Avoid comparing yourself to others. That's hard. How do you feel about that one? That's really hard. It's that, like I said, we work with such phenomenal people, but everyone's on their own kind of path and life journey and career trajectory. But it's so hard not to look around and think like, Oh, am I where I should be? Am I doing enough? Like, yeah. Well, this this one to me screams social media mm. because what 
all we're seeing online in our face all the time is the perfect picture, the perfect woman, the perfect career woman, the perfect mom, the perfect aesthetic, the perfect vacation. Yeah. Um, And that is hard to navigate in your head when you see that pretty picture online and think that everything is just like that. And it's not. It is a highly curated version of what is actually happening. Yeah. Um, That's an important, like when I've had a really rough night with Noah, my five-year-old, I've learned not to then go and decompress with social media because then in my face, I'm like, look at all the good moms. (laughs) Look at all the happy kids. And I was just mean. (laughs) I know. I'm embarrassed to admit I had to put an app on my phone this week that... um, Hard blacks me out. Instagram is my guilty pleasure. I will scroll and scroll. And I put an app on it that locks me out that you cannot override. So I get 30 minutes a day to to divvy out throughout the day to look at Instagram. And not only has it helped my mental health, but also my shopping um, has actually gone down. Because Instagram knew my week time was 9 p.m. If you show me a good ad at 9 p.m., I will probably buy something. But also, I'm so embarrassed to admit how much more productive I've been the last two weeks that the app has been on my phone. I've, I've gotten a lot done in like yeah. several books. You're going to remind me about that in our boundaries talk because that, I think uh, the time that I spend on like meded Twitter convincing myself that that's productivity is, is not great. Yeah. So we'll circle back on this on boundaries <laughs> next week. I'll give you the, the link to my app that is, has changed my life. Perfect. <laughs> Tell me how you, how you feel about this one. Embrace it like an old friend. Oh, so that like name it and it like has less power over you. Name it and claim it. Okay. I mean, I certainly have it. Like, (laughs) you know, I've raised my hand. Like I have imposter syndrome. That might, yeah, you're right. Thinking about like knowing that it's present and then managing it. Yeah. This one, this one speaks to me. Like I have to remind myself when I go into meetings and I'm starting to think like this. So like, okay. You're going to think this before the meeting is over that you don't deserve to be here. You don't know what you're talking about. So I have to to sit with that for a little bit to realize that that's probably coming. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you get out of zones that you're not used to. Yeah. When I am in a conversation that involves research, I get very, very panicky that I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, having read some of your recent research ideas, that is absolutely not true. Phenomenal research mind in there, Erin. But yes, that, not to myself. To myself, feel like very much like a novice that I need, I need Rachel's hold my hand. Um, another one that they suggest um, to overcome it is actually acknowledging your own expertise and accomplishments. Hmm. That's hard. It is. It's hard to brag yeah. about yourself. Well, that's a good connector into thinking about what we can do to support other people. So For those of us who just want to be good colleagues and good coworkers or good friends or good partners or good leaders and managers, if we know that 70% of people experience this at some point, we need to have some tools to help other people um, manage it. And one of those things, since we know that it can be challenging for us to acknowledge our own expertise, as Erin was mentioning, is to give feedback consistently and predictably, right? Don't leave people wondering if they're doing a good job. Tell them. Give them feedback about their performance with regular check-ins. Um, giving praise. Making sure to call out, like, you did a great thing and I saw it. And you're, like, you're doing a really wonderful job. Um, both internalizing that. Taking the praise and <laughs> believing it. Yes. Uh, but And both doing that publicly and privately. As we talked about during our introvert and extrovert uh, 
discussion, you know, praise hits people differently. Some people like to be publicly praised and that really fills their bucket and other people um, need to hear that more in private or is a mix of both. Um, and so as a leader or a good, um, you know, supporter of someone, making sure that we're we're knowing our people and knowing what they need to hear to feel confident. Yeah, for sure. And, and believing when you do hear that praise, like that they're not just saying that to be nice. Most people mm-hmm. don't just give you praise to be nice. It's usually warranted. You're right. You're right. That is, I needed to hear that. That's what I'm going to walk away with yes. today. I think that's what's going to linger for me. People are nice, but they're usually not that nice. You go above and beyond to praise you for something if they don't actually agree with it. Yep. Uh, something else related to that is making sure that we're giving people recognition for their good work. So creating a culture of like credit where credit is due, right? If someone brings a good idea, making sure that you attach it to their name. Hey, Aaron had this great idea. So we're going to move forward as a team and figure out how to make that a reality. Um, that can really help to remind people like, oh yeah, I did have a good idea. And like, look, we're doing the thing now with my idea. Um, and so that that just goes to kind of like the culture of a team and recognizing when team members are uh, are pushing out really good ideas. Yeah, I actually read a story that in uh, President Obama's White House, on a lot of his teams, they had this thing where when a woman especially had a good idea, that anytime anyone repeated the idea, they made sure that they attached her name to the beginning of it. So they, mm-hmm. they like, like Rachel said, and they kept repeating it through the meeting to make sure that everyone knew, gave credit to whose idea it was, but also to help build her up and keep ingraining in her head that that was her really great idea that was making it through the meeting. So yeah, that was a really great thing that they were doing. That's really powerful. Something else that we can do to support people on our teams is to make it easy to ask for help, especially knowing members of your team might find that difficult, right? If they think they need to be an expert, if asking for help is a indicator that they shouldn't have the job or shouldn't be in the role or shouldn't be on the project, right? Having that sort of psychological safety net of like, there's no embarrassment if you need to ask a question or you need some guidance or you want someone to help you. Having systems in place, being available, being open and really co- like creating a culture of where asking for help is not seen as a sign of weakness or lack of knowledge or lack of expertise is really, really important too. And then alongside that, empowering people to make their own decisions mm-hmm. in their role. So avoiding that kind of micromanagey like run everything by me or I need to check all of your work because that can sort of like reinforce some of those imposter syndrome feelings. It really spoke to me when we, especially working in a department like anesthesiology at Washington University, not only is our department really diverse and we're doing lots of very vastly different jobs, but things are evolving so quickly and your role changes dramatically day to day, year to year. Um, And it's totally not reasonable that you would be an expert in every single component of your job immediately just because our jobs change yeah. so quickly and so in so many different areas. And so I think that you need to sit with that for a little bit to realize this is a new thing I'm doing. I'm not going to be great at it. I can be great at it, but it's going to take a while. But having that freedom to ask questions and to clarify things and, and rely on your teammates, um, but not having that like, bravado Mm. that you have to withhold all the time of, no, I I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. No need to ever question me. Well, that goes back to something you said earlier when like recognizing and naming our strengths out loud actually like helps the team, right? If I feel like I'm not able to do something perfectly, but I want to, knowing that you've said before, like, hey, that's one of my things. Like I'm good at that thing. I know who to ask. And it doesn't feel weird because like, 
that's the thing that Aaron's really good at. And so it, it sort of helps us all if we're like recognizing our own merits out loud and then knowing to ask people for help. Yeah, Del- double whammy. Prop oh. up your teammates and also help yourself yeah. all in the same time. Yes. Well, so those are some things we can think about to support other people. Um, any final thoughts around that? Erin, as you uh, move into leadership, any pearls that you're rolling around? You know, I think, like I said before, my biggest thing is just talking about this openly mm-hmm. um, and talking and talking and talking and telling people that, you know, not that I'm looking for people to hype me up constantly because that's not realistic too, but acknowledging that, like, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes and um, that's okay. I'm going to do that. Yeah, but it's fine. And uh, some of it is not true. <laughs> and trying to sort out the stuff that generally maybe I am an expert on mm-hmm. and the stuff that maybe I'm not an expert on, but I, Marky got it. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to know both of those things and they can exist simultaneously in you. Yeah. Um, but not letting that negative part consume you mm-hmm. of constantly, because it's exhausting, right? Constantly feeling like you're proving yourself and yeah, doing too much more to not be found out as a fraud. I mean, that, that is contributing to burnout and contributing to all kinds of terrible stuff at your job if you just admit to yourself, like, you are pretty great at your job. Mm-hmm. You have to constantly be proving yourself. Imagine, like, the weight off your shoulders yeah. when you can think about it like that. Those people will still like me. Yeah, still respect me. Mm. Still be my friend if I make a mistake. I'm letting, I'm, I am taking this in. You are coaching me through this right now. But I feel like to us, even us talking about it right now, like when we sit in team meetings now, I feel like we'll be able to be more supportive to each other. Like I know kind of where you're at with this and I know what might help if I see this manifesting in that meeting. Well, too, and and like calling, like you said earlier, calling people out on their strengths. Like I know what Rachel's really good at. And even sometimes she might not be aware of her strength in a certain area um, that I can see as an outsider that is one of her strengths. So. Yeah, acknowledging it for other people to help them fight past that and to to share with them and the team what they're really good at. Yeah. Well, I hope that this was helpful. In uh, if you're one of those seventy percenters who sometimes grapple with this, um, I hope it was affirming to hear other people just talk out loud about it. Like Aaron said, I think that's so powerful. It's just you're not alone. And I'm alone. And you're not making it like you're not making it up. It's a thing. It's it's a thing. It's a thing. And I and you as you probe deeper into this, it's amazing how many really high power people suffer with this. Uh-huh. You know, we all haven't faked it that much. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no one hired all of us by mistake. Yes. <laughs> you know, if you really do some deep dives on the internet, it's amazing who you see. Mm you know, copying to have imposter syndrome because it's so really incredible, successful, brilliant people. I, I was reading a book preparing for this and someone was a going to one of the Ivy Leagues to study like some astronomically important thing, like, you know, some particle physics craziness, something brilliant. And um, when they got accepted, they were like, well, I mean, anyone can do this if they just work hard enough. And people were like... No, they can't. No. no, they can't. But until he had said that out loud to people, he just figured like, well, I'm just, I've just worked really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's acknowledging that you do have like very special, specific talents mm-hmm. and um, you need to recognize those and not just assume, well, everyone can do it. Or there was a lot of people in the book that were talking about how when they got accepted to programs, 
college admissions or some other exciting thing, people genuinely were thinking, I wonder if there was someone else with the same name as me and they accidentally sent this acceptance letter to me. <laughs> Our brains are not kind to us. They, they are not, not kind at all to us. Um, so know that you are not alone if you are feeling like this at all. Um, Rachel and I are here to talk to you about it if you want to. Yeah, Ray, you know exactly what type of imposter syndrome we're currently struggling with. So <laughs> reach out. Uh, happy to listen. Happy to talk. But it does, you know, help, like we talked about, your overall well-being to like recognize this in yourself and name it and claim it and realize when you do see it manifesting in your job and kind of acknowledging that because it is, like we talked about before, it's that weight off your shoulder of like, you know, maybe this is just how I'm feeling right now and not actually how I am as a person and kind of getting past that. And I think it'll make make you feel a lot better. Your load a lot lighter at work, not imposing these crazy expectations on yourself. Um, so again, when we talk about boundaries coming up and we talk about all of these things, <laughs> we'll talk more about how to actually make tangible efforts um, to dial back at work to protect yourself, but also feel like you're successful in your career. I'm so excited we're bringing along an expert for that one. Yes, because <laughs> I certainly am not good at the boundaries stuff. I had to purchase an actual app to make myself get off Instagram. <laughs> I had to spend actual money to make myself not click a button on my phone. So, yeah, excited to learn more. Yeah, well, join us next time. And thanks for listening today. We're so, so grateful that you're joining us on this journey and hope that some of it is helpful as you think about your own self in the world and the work. Self-reflection is a great thing. We all need to take time to to self-reflect more. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to talking to you next time. More topics about your well-being.